This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This may be hard to believe, but that might be the last time you hear me say that. (laughs) Lord willing, I think the 9th of January, we're going to get to Hebrews 12. uh, But one more week in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at the last two verses, 39 through 40. Uh, Really encouraged, excited about what I believe God has for us today as we are looking forward to Christmas at the end of this week. And I believe God uh, gives us this passage really as a means uh, of just great blessing and encouragement for us today. If I had to choose a theme song for our church, like, you know, schools have theme songs and like, this is our song and everybody knows it's our song. And when we get together on Sundays, we sing it every Sunday. Maybe we start the service with it every Sunday or we end the service every Sunday. This is just, it's our anthem, it's our song and everybody knows it. it. It's the theme of our church. I would pick joy to the world. And I would pick it because it contains the two things that I love the most about church and the two things that I desire to happen the most every time we gather, the things that are maybe the strongest values to me as a pastor, and that is to exalt and exult. Two different words. To exalt means to worship. It means to praise. It means to glorify. It means to lift up. My desire in everything we do when we get together on Sunday mornings, from every song that is sang, from our fellowship to the word that is preached, is make much of Jesus Christ. You heard me say this. I'm a Jesus guy, right? Morning to night, top to bottom, every moment, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything we do, from every bit of children's curriculum to youth studies to sermons to service, everything's going to point to Jesus. We are Jesus people, amen? Like the one thing I want people to get when they hear is hear me say Jesus a lot. That's why I just said it 10 times. We're Jesus people, and we want to exalt Jesus. We want everyone to know that everything their heart longs for is found in Jesus. Why? Because God created them that way. God created you to only find life and joy and peace, all of these things through the person of Jesus Christ. So we exalt Jesus. This is why we teach through books of the Bible. This is why we get our minds filled with the truth. But we don't want to just do that. We want to exalt. Exalt means to rejoice. It really means to be overcome with joy and praise. And so what we're wanting to happen when we get together and what I hope will be a model for you every day is that through the study of his word and the study in the nature and character of God, we come to know him, all right? And that knowledge is not the enemy of joy. That knowledge is the source of joy. And we fill our minds with truth. And we think about the deep and glorious and magnificent truths of God. And we are thinking about them like going through the book of Hebrews for lots of months. And we, we want to know the real, real deep things of the Lord. But our goal is that our minds are filled and our hearts are overcome with joy. That's what we want. 
So we want there to be joy in our singing and joy in our giving and joy in our serving and joy in our homes. And that's a model that we want. And, and joy to the world does that. Joy to the world just kind of lifts up Jesus and says he's the king and he's worthy of celebration. And then it causes our hearts to rejoice and to exult in him. And the reason that I think we could do this, we're not going to, but the reason we could sing it every single week is because it was never intended to be a Christmas song at all. Isaac Watts uh, wrote these words in a book of poems that he was really writing through the Psalms. And when he wrote these words, he was specifically thinking of Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is a, a psalm that does what many of the Psalms do. It begins by looking back. It's thinking about the way in which God has saved his people time and time again, specifically in Egypt. God delivered them miraculously from the strongest nation in the world through the blood of a lamb that was shed and brought them uh, across the Red Sea and into the promised land. And so the psalmist is looking back and saying, isn't it incredible that we're here because God saved that generation? And so looking back at God's salvation. But Psalm 98 also looks around it says, now, even though the world is in total chaos, God is still ruling and reigning. He's still seated on his throne. He's still king. And everyone might think that they're battling for supremacy. But in reality, the battle is already won. Amen. God is king and he is the Lord of all. And so it looks back to what he has done in saving his people. It looks around at the chaos and says, he's still king and Lord. And he's got everything under control. We can rest in him. And then it looks forward. Psalm 98 looks forward to the coming of, of Jesus Christ. One day that king will come and he will return and he will establish his kingdom on earth and he will make all the wrongs right. And finally, at some point, we will receive the fullness of all of the promises of God and every injustice that's ever been done to you or to anyone else will all be made right at the return of Christ. And that, that really is what that psalm is about. Primarily, it looks forward to the second coming, and so does the song, Joy to the World. That's why it says this, no more let sins and sorrows grow. Well, that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back again. Sins and sorrows will keep growing. Nor thorns infest the ground. Thorns will still infest the ground until Jesus comes back. Then, no more weeds, no more thorns. Hallelujah. Then listen to this. He will come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Do you know every bit of struggle and every bit of heartache and every bit of sickness and every bit of family dysfunction, which you may or may not experience this week, is all a result of the fact that we live in a broken world. Everything. All of that that we experience is because brokenness is everywhere. And what this says is this, when Jesus comes back, to the extent in which there's brokenness, all of that brokenness and curse will be replaced with the very blessing of God. That's gonna be great. As far as the curse is found, there will be the blessing of God. It is a statement, a rejoicing, a celebration of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. It's okay for us to sing it at Christmas. Even though it's looking forward because the reality is, is at Christmas, we also look back and we also look around and we also look forward, just like Psalm 98 does. And the reason we can see him at Christmas is because no matter where you look, you just got to look to Jesus. 
And this song looks to Jesus. This song does what we do specifically at Christmas. We just fix our eyes upon it, Jesus Christ. And that's important for us because in this moment in which we're looking at Jesus and seeking to exalt and exalt him, especially in this moment when we're learning from Hebrews 11 how to walk by faith, we need to know in this walk where to look. Like our direction is determined by where our eyes are looking. And Hebrews 11 is important because Hebrews 10 told us the righteous live by faith. That's a huge statement. You realize that? It means that the righteous are not those who made a faith decision a long time ago, who are depending upon some moment of faith. The righteous, those who are the children of God, live by faith. They are trusting and following Jesus on a regular basis. Not always perfectly, but always trusting and following Jesus. That's the life of faith. And this chapter exists, really the same reason the whole book of Hebrews exists, to simply say this, keep walking. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't drift away. Keep walking. Keep making progress. Don't let go of what God has given to you. Don't shrink back from the glory of God. But in order to keep walking, you must be looking in the right place. And it's interesting because in this chapter that is really meant to lead us forward and to say, keep going, keep going, keep going, it does so by turning our eyes back. That's Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 says, listen, I want you to move forward, but in order for you to move forward, look back for a little bit and remember the great men and women of faith. And we get these stories of Enoch and Abel and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab showing us the way in which faith works and showing what it looks like in real life, in real time, with real human beings for us to live by faith. Last week we saw this reality that sometimes faith looks like incredible supernatural miracles in which what you pray gets answered perfectly and God manifests his power in a way that everyone is amazed. Sometimes faith does that. And sometimes faith simply gives us the endurance and the grace to continue to persevere in the midst of a lot of heartache. But it's still faith. We need the faith to see the miracles. We need the faith to persevere. We don't have a chance of walking faithfully with the Lord in the midst of all the brokenness without the faith that God gives. And we have all of these witnesses that are showing us the way in which that works. Some that saw great miracles and some that endured and had grace to persevere. But I've left these last two verses for this morning because they bridge the gap between Hebrews 11 and 12 and not so much teach us something new as at Christmas get our eyes looking in the right direction. You see, Hebrews 11 had us looking back. Hebrews 12 is gonna get us to look forward. And those last two verses show us why we're talking so much about looking around. Look at what it says there. If you're there at the end of Hebrews 11, say amen. It says this. And all of these, these great witnesses, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
So it points back to all of these great men and women of faith. And as we're leaving them and moving on into a lot of really practical daily instruction in Hebrews 12, as we turn our eyes from looking back to looking around and ahead, it has these little transition verses that say, look at all of these people we looked at. They were commended by their faith. They had faith. They heard a promise from God. They trusted it. They believed it. And God blessed them. And they were rewarded. Then it says they did not receive what was promised. Well, that's interesting because they did receive some things that were promised. I mean, Noah was promised that a flood was going to come, but he would be saved if he would shut himself inside of the ark. If all of his family would, would, uh, would receive God's means of salvation, they would be saved. And they, they were. They got on the ark. He built it. He believed in it. And he was saved. They saw the fulfillment of that promise. Abraham believed that he would receive by Sarah the promised son of blessing Isaac. And he did. He held him and he saw him and he watched him grow. He received some of the, the promise. Moses was promised that he would lead the people out of Egypt. And he saw it as they were delivered by the shedding of the blood of a spotless lamb. And he saw it as they crossed the Red Sea. And he saw as Pharaoh's army was destroyed. He saw a lot of the promises of God fulfilled. And Rahab, she just believed that God's side was the right side. And so she asked if her family could be saved. And she departed from her people and joined with the people of God. And she tied a little scarlet thread up on her window. And through that and her faith, she was saved. She saw the salvation of the Lord. Each one of them and everyone else listed in chapter 11 saw God do some great things. They saw him fulfill promises so, so why does it say that they did not receive what was promised? The answer is because they knew that everything they saw and experienced was just a picture of something more. What they saw was great. It was more than great. It was incredibly great. What Noah and Abraham and all of them saw was incredibly great, but, but it wasn't exactly what they wanted. All of it, every bit of it, was pointing to a greater promise that they did not ever receive. It's kind of like a 16-year-old boy who, who tells his parents he wants a car for Christmas. He just assumes he's 16, it's time to get a car. And he tells his parents, parents, I need a car for Christmas. And they say, well, that's ridiculous. And he keeps asking and begging for a car and then all of a sudden something happens in kind of that not so subtle parent way. His parents start asking questions about the car. Well, you're not getting a car, but if you were, what color would you want? Well, if you were, what kind of wheels would you want? And so they start asking these questions to the extent that he, he goes to bed Christmas Eve fairly confident he's going to get a car. And then again, the classic old trick, right? All of the presents are gone and everybody's sitting there and just kind of looking at all of the stuff. And then dad goes, wait, I, I think there's one more we forgot. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And, and he says, son, I think this is for you. And he goes over and he, he finds this little box. Good sign. He shakes it. Sounds like keys. This is getting better. He tears it open. He opens the box and it's keys. And he looks at his dad and his dad goes, like his dad's proud of himself, like everybody's happy. He knows he's getting it. He grabs the keys. He runs out to the garage, and there is the exact color, the exact wheels, a beautiful, incredible golf cart. <laughs> it's awesome. 
Like it's the red and black with the Georgia symbol on the leather in the back. It's got those chrome wheels, those off-road tires. Like it's legit. Like it's, every, it's the golf cart everybody would want. Like this is a great golf cart. Anybody would be thrilled to wake up on Christmas morning and get this, this golf cart. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's just not what he wanted. And it's a picture of what he wanted. Like he wanted something with four wheels that went somewhere. But it, it just wasn't the fullness of everything he wanted. He, he had this vision of what he really wanted. And he got something that was close, but it wasn't the reality. And every Old Testament believer felt that way all the time. They're like, God, this is awesome. Like, thank you for Isaac, and thank you for the ark, and thank you for the scarlet thread, and thank you for all that you have done. This is great, and I love it. And I mean, who wouldn't want all of this? But God, I, I, this is not it. There's got to be something more. This has to be a picture of something better. Every one of them believed that, and we know that because all through chapter 11 it says that some finally received a home, but it didn't feel like home. They wanted a better home. There are some that, that received life, but they didn't want that life. They wanted a better life. They got a possession from the Lord, but they didn't really want it. They wanted a better possession. So these Old Testament believers were never fully satisfied with what God had given them because they always sensed that it was just a picture of something greater. And the reason they felt that way is because it was all a picture of something greater. And that's exactly why it says, look in verse 40. They did not receive what was promised since God had promised something better for us. Meaning there's something they wanted they didn't get. And there's something we got that they wanted and never received. They got something great, but we got something better. You look at all the things that they received and all the miracles that were received. And you might look at the Old Testament and think, God, I want that in my life. Like, I want to experience those kind of things. And the Lord's answer to that is, you got something better than all of that. Like, they never got what you got. And it's the better of all of the book of Hebrews. In chapter 7, it says they were wanting a better hope and a better covenant. In chapter 8, it says they were longing for a better ministry. In chapter 9, they were longing for a better sacrifice. In chapter 10, they wanted a better possession and a better life. In chapter 11, they wanted a better home. What it says is all of those things they wanted, the something better, the something they longed for, is what we have received because the something better is Jesus. That's the something better. Like they got all these glimpses of it. But what we have that they didn't have is Jesus. And everything in the Old Testament was pointing them towards something better, which was Jesus. It's like we said last Sunday night, every story is whispering the name of Jesus. Every story of the Old Testament is just pointing forward to something greater. Let me just think about it this way. Noah rejoiced in the ark. And he loved it. It was through the ark by which he was saved from destruction. But Jesus is the greater ark whom every person is saved. The only one who will ever be saved are those who enter into the ark of Jesus Christ. And without the salvation of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Everyone will be destroyed unless they get on the ark, which is Jesus Christ. The ark was just a picture of Jesus. 
And Isaac was a blessed son for Abraham. Oh my word, God promised him. They hoped, they waited. They were in their late 90s when he came and they rejoiced in Isaac. And listen, Isaac was the son of promise through whom, according to Genesis 12, the world was going to be blessed. But the reality is Jesus is the greater son of promise through whom all people will be blessed. And every time you look at these little pictures in scripture and Moses receiving the Passover and sacrificing that lamb by which he was saved, all pointing us to a greater lamb. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Old Testament lamb was just a picture of a greater lamb. And Rahab was saved by faith in this scarlet red. But what we say, because we have something better, is what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And everything they ever hoped for and everything they all ever longed for, we have in Jesus Christ. He is the something better. And we know about his birth and we know about his sinless life and we know about his substitutionary death and we know about his resurrection and we know about his ascension and it's not just that we know these things, it's that because we are on this side of those things, it is possible for me to say to you, everything your heart has ever longed for is found in Jesus and you can have him. You can have him. There's something better for you, better than anything else you've ever experienced in life and Jesus is the something better. And if you will receive him, you can have the fullness of everything that he offers. All of this is pointing us to all that Jesus offers, the hope, the love, the joy and peace. It's all found in Jesus and all of it can be yours. Why? Because we have something better, something they longed for but did not receive. But then this chapter ends with the strangest little phrase. So God provided something better for us. We have, we have Jesus. We see Jesus. Jesus, we know Jesus. Look at that last phrase. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this is something future tense. So this is talking about something that they have not yet received and could not receive without us. And we always think about better as being the kind of most important word in Hebrews. And that is the theme, right? Nothing's better than Jesus. Like every, Jesus makes everything better and he's better than everything in the Old Testament. But do you know the word perfect is actually used more in the book of Hebrews than the word better? And that word perfect means something that has become completed. Something that has finished its course, it's reached its final goal, it's the consummation of, of everything. And what this verse is saying is this, that even though we receive something better than they did, there is still something both of us are longing for that we have not yet received. So, so we got something better, but there's something even better than that. And they're longing for the something better. And, and we're longing for the something better. So in a way, we still feel like them. Like, yes, we have something better. And we have Jesus. And the life that that gives us is incredible. But if we're honest, we still feel like we're driving the golf cart. Like we still feel like something's missing. Like this was great, but we wanted something more. We were hoping for something more. There has to be something more. To which Hebrews 11 says, well, there is, and you have not yet got it, and they have not yet got it. But the two of you together, the Old Testament believers and us, can all receive it 
that we will be made perfect. What it's saying is this, that even though they looked forward to the coming of Jesus and we look back to the coming of Jesus, both of us together are still looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. The truth is, as much as we have in Jesus Christ, at its greatest, it's going to be just a taste. I mean, they had whispers, but we have shouts. And they have shadows, but we have substance. They had promise, but we had reality. They had a taste, but we have a feast. But even our greatest realities are simply also a shadow of the greater reality for when Christ comes back. Because it is that moment in which this will come to pass No more will sin and sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He will come to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Which means when he returns, Satan will be conquered, sin will be crushed, death will be defeated, sickness will be healed, all relationships will be restored. God will make everything right. And every bit of injustice that has ever happened to you, and you've so desperately wanted to get back at that, and you have trusted the promise, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will make everything right for every bit of injustice that's ever been done to you or anyone else. (laughs) And so here we are, also waiting. You say, well, why does this this matter for us? Like, Why is this a good Christmas message here in 2021? Well, because the reality is, as believers... We, we look back, like this is what we do at Christmas. We look back and we not only look back to these great cloud of witnesses, we look back to Jesus and we meditate upon Jesus and we look back to his birth and all of the supernatural activity and the joy that was declared there. We look to his sinless life and we look to his sacrificial death and we realize that it's through all of those things that we have anything. Like we don't have anything without that. And we look back and we rejoice in Jesus Christ. We still feel a little bit unsettled. And so when we feel unsettled, we look forward and we say, I'm thankful for this, but I want something more. I'm never gonna be satisfied. And so we look to the day in which Jesus Christ will come and establish his kingdom on earth and destroy his enemies and save his people. And we will rule and reign with him forever and all sin will be done. So we look forward. We also look around. We look around at the brokenness of the world. We look around at the brokenness of our family. We look around at the brokenness that some of you will experience this week. And we realize in the midst of that brokenness that God has left us here so that being conformed into his image and looking like him, we might manifest him to a broken world so that they might begin to be whole. We look around at all the brokenness, say, God, what is going on? We have to be careful not just to look back and not just to look forward, but to look around at a lost to dying world and say, God, you have left me here. That by looking at you, I might look like you and others might look to me and see you. And so that's what we do. The most important thing to remember is that no matter where you look, whether you're looking back or forward or around, you just have to keep looking at Jesus. Look at me, church. You just, you've got to keep looking at Jesus. Like every moment, every day, every morning, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus. You are going the direction that you're looking. Some of you are discouraged. You are defeated. You are distant from God. You're dry. There there is no affection in your heart for Jesus Christ. And you're wondering what has happened. And the answer is simply this. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus. 
And the reason I say this is a transition to Hebrews 12 is because Hebrews 12 is gonna say to us, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. But the reality is, in the midst of all the complexities of life and complexities of family and complexities of this time of year, in which all this stuff seems to come to the forefront that's been buried throughout the year, what I wanna say to you is this, the simple answer is this, eyes on Jesus. He has every single thing you need. He has grace upon grace. He has hope upon hope. He has joy upon joy, eyes fixed on Jesus. You know the reason we do this at Christmas? We do this at Christmas because it's just a visual symbol to make us look back that Jesus came And he brought light into the darkness. And by that, he brought us hope and joy and love and and peace. But it also points us forward that every time we experience a little bit of that hope and love and joy and peace, it's just a taste of the fullness of that in eternity. And, And so although we rejoice and we exalt and we exalt, don't we long for something more? That's what this does. And do you know that's exactly what this does? Like this little communion cup does the same thing. By this communion, don't get it yet. Don't get it yet. Hold on, I'll give you a chance to get it. You know what we do when we see this? We look back. This is back, right? This is the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We look back. We say, God, we're so thankful that your body was broken. Your blood was shed for us. We look back at Jesus. We look around. We look around and say, Lord, this is applied to me right now, today, and it's applied to us. We are the body of Christ because we have been united with Jesus Christ. And the reason this is only to be taken by a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is because by taking it, you're symbolizing that what he did has been applied to you. You have received it. And we look around and we say, God, thank you for this in my life today, the difference that is making to me. But listen, we look forward when we take this. Because the Apostle Paul says, as long as you drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Because listen, even though this is a taste, it's just a taste. We will one day feast for all of eternity with him. And so we get a little visual of the light and we get an actual little physical taste of this. But it's just a taste. Because although we have something better, there is something even better if we just hold on and keep looking at Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.